1: He wasn't just some academic guy or some like fancy poet guy just talking shit about society like he was living through that same things like he was everything he was talking about he was like experiencing that.
0: Welcome to episode 37 of the Accolades conversation series in which I talk to some of my favorite artists about who or what they would recommend me checking out. Make sure to subscribe or hit that like button. In this episode, I'm talking to Philadelphia rapper G, whose gritty incantations and smoky delivery has been heralded by Bandcamp, Spotify, The Fader, Complex, Low End Theory, Jill Peterson, and more. Logi's kinetic avant-garde raps confidently pass through sparse flavors of boom bap, house, electronica, grime, trap, and punk. I spoke to G about Gil Scott Haram an American soul and jazz poet, musician, and author known primarily for his work as spoken word performer in the 1970s and 1980s. His collaborative effort with musician Brian Jackson featured a musical fusion of jazz, blues, and soul, as well as a lyrical content concerning social and political issues of the time, delivered in both rapping and melismatic vocal styles by Scott Heron. His own term for himself was bluesologist, which he defined as a scientist who is concerned with the origin of blues. His poem, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, delivered over a jazz soul beat, is considered a major influence on hip hop music. This is what Lo G had to add.
1: The person I'm going with is Gil Scott Haran. What really sticks with me about him was, you know, just beyond the how legendary his words are and how powerful his poetry is and how often sampled it is and just the big touch he had on the world with his work. At the time he was alive, he basically was regarded as the voice of a generation or at least maybe a little after his pride came. But either way, as of today, he's regarded as like the voice of a generation at that time. Beyond all that, I just love how real of a person he was. You know what I mean? He wasn't like a star in the stereotypical sense. He wasn't like in the interviews or at all the shows with a bunch of crazy expensive clothes on or wearing all this wild jewelry or just in a whole getup. It just didn't really feel like he was putting on an act. Like you could tell he was performing the poetry and trying to connect with the audience and get the message across, but it didn't feel like this gimmick or this act he was putting on for the sake of showbiz. His whole energy was just about finding therapy and expressing the ugly truths that black people face in a country like America every day. And just not being afraid to get to the root of it and talk about it in a way that would shock you sometimes in clever ways, just make you go wow. I didn't see it like that before. Not only for the people who don't necessarily experience what it's like to be black, but even for black people, like just the way he would put certain things, you start looking at life and you might be going through them same things every day, but you ain't think about it that. To be such a powerful artist and have such influence, but at the same time, be such a regular person and someone so easily relatable.
0: He he also disappeared for a big part of his life out of the spotlights, right? Yeah, and that that also adds to what
1: I'm saying. I kind of wanted to focus on the good things, but he also had a lot of demons. Um, and what also makes him so relatable is just that he wasn't just some academic guy or some like fancy poet guy just talking shit about society. Like he was living through that same things. Like he was everything he was talking about, he was like experiencing that. That's part of what added to that kind of hiatus, that disappearance was just the the plights of the music industry can already be so heavy. Being a black man in America can already be so heavy, especially at the time he was doing his thing at. It was even more intense.
0: Was he seen in the beginning, like when hip hop was forming in the early 80s? Do you know that? If he was already seen back then as as one of those pioneers or did that come later, you think? I'm curious about that, actually. But he's definitely over here regarded
1: as one of the godfathers of rap, for sure. (laughs) Just the style and the pros he was choosing and the ways he was coming off and his music and over the drums and just different musical elements he had on the early, like more poetry records, because he went through a whole era where he just started singing. Um, him and Brian Jackson it was like Winter in America and things of that nature. But like, you know, some of the earlier ones, like Conversations on 125th, you know, he just talking and there's music there. But the emphasis is definitely just him talking and it's definitely just raps.
0: If for somebody, like, there's probably not that many people that don't know who he is, but what song would you start with when it comes to his catalog? I think for the most basic listener, if, not, if you want to just, like, be introduced
1: to his work in a way that you kind of see his core essence, and you'll also come across stuff you're probably familiar with, um, is... I would say Conversation Song with Tony bro. Um, The earlier ones, I just feel like that's him in uh, his really early raw state where he first started gaining a lot of prominence and first kind of took the world like, woo, wow, this dude talking right now. He's saying some shit.
0: Thanks, Loji, for this conversation. And uh, on to next week in episode 38, where I'm talking to singer-songwriter Molly Birch about actress Lynn Carlin. Uh, If you want to have more information about my book, Accolades, please go to CrateRecords.be slash accolades. Um, You can also find uh, visuals to these interviews when you go to our YouTube channel Crate Records. Thanks again for listening.